On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about cracking the Zodiac Killer's cryptic code. For 50 years, it remained a mystery, but three people have finally figured out what all the cryptograms and ciphers and everything else mean. We're going to talk to one of them about how they did it. We're also going to be chatting with one of the guys, the guy from Hamilton, from The Bachelorette, just had his show end. Sadly, love did not blossom but Blake Moynes joins us to talk about the experience of doing the Bachelorette show. Stick around. You're going to enjoy it. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Back in the late 1960s, early 1970s, there was a serial killer who was terrorizing Northern California. You probably, especially if you were around then, you probably heard of him. He was known as Zodiac or the Zodiac Killer. Uh, if you weren't alive then or weren't old enough to be aware then or somehow didn't hear about it then, you may have learned about him in recent years through a movie. Uh, it was actually a very cool movie. It was a well-done movie starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal called Zodiac. I think you can still find it on Prime or whatever else. It's out there now. Anyway, there are lots of serial killers, sadly. That's an unfortunate reality. But what made this particular case so intriguing, among other things, is that this killer sent several ciphers, letters written in symbols with no real chart or anything to try and interpret it. You had to figure it out yourself up to the police and specifically to the media. And for 50 years, some of them have remained a mystery. Nobody could figure them out until the other day when my next guest and a couple other code breakers did it. One of the guys, the guy who led this charge, his name is David Oranchak, and he joins me now. David, thanks for doing this today. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations, by the way. This is honestly, this is one of the most fascinating stories I've seen in a long time that you were able to do this. But just before we get into how you did it, because it is complicated. There's no question it's complicated. Why were you trying? Why are you involved in this? What's your connection to this case? Well, about <clears throat> about 14 years ago, I saw a picture of the um, of the cipher online on a Zodiac Killer website. There was a bunch of other information about the case, but um, the cipher really stood out to me because I like puzzles and and I had a deep curiosity about how that cipher was made, and um, I was really curious if I could try to use my programming skills since I'm a, my background is in computer programming and software development, and I figured. Well, why don't I try to bring those skills to bear on that problem and see if I can unravel the message? And, you know, I went through so many failures over that 14-year period, um, but I maintained that curiosity about what the message might be and what the uh, the clues in the cipher might actually mean. So uh, that's what kept me going for that long. And I think the fact that you point out that you were working on this with computer help and you're a smart guy and 14 years it says something about how incredibly complex this cipher was. Like, you know, many people, and if they don't know what a cipher is, I mean, it's, think of it as a party game. You'll do these things at a party game where they'll give you, you know, A is represented by this symbol or B by this symbol, and you have to figure, now that's the most basic. This is like that on 14 different types of steroids. I mean, this was the most complex puzzle that I've ever seen. That's right. It is pretty complicated. It's actually fairly simple to make it, but, but to, uh, to unravel it once it's already been made is uh, is considerably more difficult. Um, but yeah, in addition to doing the things you mentioned, like um, making symbols represent letters, um, so that's the substitution part. 
he did that in this cipher as well, but he added some additional steps um, where he split the cipher into three different pieces. And in, in each piece, he would manipulate the message in a systematic way um, so that the message has to be read in a different direction, in this like kind of like diagonal direction. And that's what made it so difficult to solve all these years was um, the combination of splitting it up into three sections, rewriting the message in different directions. And on top of that, he added mistakes in the second part, which made it even more difficult to unravel because you had to try to figure out what his mistake was. So that Intentionally, <laughs> really made it do you think? Intentionally made, put a mistake or made a mistake and didn't realize it? Actually, I think a bit of both because in that second section, he also put the words life is and he didn't make those diagonal. He made those just normal reading order. But the rest of it was diagonal, and then there was a line that was shifted, which I think was a mistake. That was probably a genuine mistake. Um, but it could have been a case of he made the mistake and then noticed the mistake, but didn't bother to correct it because he probably thought to himself, well, this will just make it a little bit trickier. So, so who knows? <laughs> Maybe he did leave it in there on purpose. Um, okay, so uh, just to back up a little bit, and I, again, I mean, this is, it, it was, when you look at it, and I, I want to get before we're done here, um, your website out there, because you've made a fantastic YouTube video that shows and explains, and it is far too complicated for us to even begin to discuss on the radio. You really have to see some of these things to really grasp what you're talking about. We'll get to that address in just a moment. But you've got this thing, you're working on it for 14 years, now all of a sudden you find this guy in Australia who is also interested and a guy in, is it Belgium, who has a computer program that enables you to take a new step with this? That's right. Um, we had to all work together to make this work because um, Jarl van Eyke, he's a Belgian programmer, and he's been working on that software for about five years now. And he, too, had a deep interest in trying to find uh, a solution to this 340-character um, cipher. Um, and so he developed this software that's really efficient, really fast, and really powerful at solving these kinds of ciphers, but it, re it requires that you give it the, uh, a cipher type that it expects. So something like the first cipher that the Zodiac Killer put out is what it's really good at solving. And so that's where Sam comes in. Sam is an applied mathematician in um, Australia, and he came up with these um, many different ways to manipulate the uh, 340 cipher uh, to break it down, basically, into different patterns or whatever, to try and plug it in. Exactly. Because we didn't know exactly what kinds of manipulations Zodiac was going to do. So, so what do you do in that case? You try out a bunch of different possibilities. You do a bunch of trial and error and try to run <laughs> and how, experiments. And, <laughs> and how many did Sam give you? The number is extraordinary. He, at the end of it, I had 650,000 ciphers from him. <laughs> and only one of them... Only one of them produced the uh, interesting phrases like "gas chamber" and uh, uh, "I hope that they're still uh, I hope they're still looking for me" or whatever. That's um, what really stood out, and the solution was still only a partial solution. So even then, it wasn't clear that it was the right answer yet. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the puzzles, as you say, one of the 650,000, you see the word "gas chamber." Now, there's all kinds of other jumbled letters and everything in there. Is gas chamber, when you're searching for a serial killer who's taunting everybody, is gas chamber in your mind a fluke, or is it enough to say, I think we're on to something here? Yeah, it was um, definitely attention-grabbing, especially when combined with the other phrases that were popping out, like, hope you are trying to catch me, and that sounded exactly like something else that the killer would have been talking about. So between that and gas chamber... That was a red flag to just pay attention to that particular um, 
solution that popped out. And most of the time when we're looking at these things, we see a bunch of gibberish. And a lot of times they will involve words that make sense, but they don't seem like things that the killer would be talking about, so we tend to ignore them. But that one in particular stood out, so we focused on that one, and thank goodness we did. For a guy who has worked on this for 14 years, you don't sound to me like someone easily frustrated. But that said, I'm wondering if when you now get a taste, when you're when you're getting clues that, you know what, we've got to be close, and it's still not working out exactly, is that when it becomes frustrating, or was there never frustration in this for you? That part, that part was pretty frustrated. I mean, I was pretty excited anyway because I knew that we had something, especially when I put that first section into the, um, the code-breaking software again to try to clean it up. And when I isolated the first section and then did what's called cribbing, which is where you lock in those words and you tell the code-breaking software, try to find the right key for this section, but leave those words alone because I like these words. <laughs> they look like they might be the correct words. And so when I did that, other phrases started popping out that really made even huh. more sense. Yeah. And we're so, talking what kind of time frame here? Like, what, th- this is running through computer stuff, but are we talking hours or days or months or weeks that you're working on this? From the time you got your first, th- that gas chamber word, how long after does this take to start working on? Oh, once that appeared, that, it was a matter of, uh, of, of uh, minutes before we got that oh. first section done. But because of the problems with the second section, it took a, a few days to kind of clean that up. But but most of the time was spent leading up to that, uh, going through the 650,000 um, ciphers and running them through the software. That took uh, a, a couple of months or a few months at least. And it wasn't until that the day when, that, when those words started popping out that we really sped things along. <laughs> and one of the things that I loved, and again, watching this YouTube video, and we will give the address where people can find that, um, you mentioned the error. And whether it was intentional or whether it was unintentional, uh, that part would drive you nuts, that you think you've got this figured out, and then you realize just by shifting four or five letters or symbols over one notch, suddenly everything falls into place. And, and that has to be one of those moments when you just about, I don't know, I, I, how, did, how did you respond when everything started to come together and you finally saw it all work? When I saw the messages pop, when I saw the full message pop out of that first section, that's when I knew for sure that we had it, that this, this had to be at least partially right, that first section. And that was a that was a very intense moment because mm. it was 14 years in the making. And when I first started working on this code, there were a lot of moments where I fooled myself into thinking that I was on the right track in some of these t- experiments that I've been running, and they never went anywhere. I might have learned things in the process, but it would always run. I would always run into a brick wall as far as the actual solution went. So I had gotten used to over time just like setting my expectations really low. And meanwhile, I'm seeing a bunch of people out there on the internet making claims about finding solutions and sending their solutions into authorities, but none of those solutions were right. But they were convinced that they were right. So I knew that people could fall into these traps of getting mm-hmm. too excited prematurely. Um, but when I saw that uh, full section coming out of that first uh, part, you know, all the text coming out of that, that's when. Uh, you know, my heart started racing, and then, like, I knew that something big was happening. Uh, d- this doesn't, the one frustration, I guess, that's left is this doesn't really tell us anything or lead us any closer to knowing who Zodiac is, though, right? It doesn't appear to. It looks like more of the same taunting types of messages that he was sending out in his letters, and it's very similar to the message from his first cipher, where he's talking about slaves in the afterlife, and he makes the same kinds of themes in this one. Um, but it does kind of tell us 
that he is capable of making a cipher that actually works. It has a uh, it uses a systematic method. So he had enough knowledge of cryptography. Who knows where he got it? He could have picked it up from the military or some books or magazines or something. Um, <clears throat> but whatever it was, he was smart enough to figure out how to put it together in a way that defeated cryptographers, but was still cryptographically valid. It wasn't just a bunch of random symbols. It wasn't a hoax. There was a real message in there, and and cryptographers were able to unravel it. We only have a second left here, but it's been 51 years now, and chances are, I mean, there's a very good chance anyway that whoever it is is dead. I mean, he'd be elderly if not dead by now. But if he's alive, do you think that this kind of thing, that now that you've unlocked this, it might be too tempting for him not to make some comment or not to reemerge? I would imagine so. I mean, with all this renewed attention, that seems to be what he wanted all along. Um, so, yeah, if he was still around, I'm sure he would be uh, really enjoying the renewed interest in his name. David Aranchak, uh, the website is Zodiac Killer Ciphers, C-I-P-H-E-R-S dot com, Zodiac Killer Ciphers dot com. Uh, go, not right now, because we want you to listen to the show, but after, go and watch. There's a ton of great videos. There's a great explanation. David, look, I, I am so amazed by the fact that you were able to do this. It is such a cool story. Really appreciate you taking some time today to talk to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Following up, because we can't do the story about cracking the Zodiac cipher code and not say what the message said. It's not all that long. But what it says, and what they were able to discern is, I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show. There was a show that they were talking and someone actually called in back then claiming to be Zodiac. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because now I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they're afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know my new life will be an easy one in paradise, death. It's a little creepy. In fact, a lot creepy. But the fact that they were able to sort that one out, that is, that is Ben, that is, I think that's just entirely cool that they were able to do that. It's really cool, but it also really, like, once you read it and you're like, oh, wow, that dude has some issues. You think? Well, I think most psycho killers, uh, serial killers, psycho killer, serial killer, whatever, would have issues. I, I, it just, the other thing that amazes me about this is I think this removes any criticism that the police back then might have been given for not solving this thing. If it took a computer to come up with 650,000 variations and another computer to try and sort through it, I think we can excuse the cops for not figuring it out by looking at it and doing it by hand. That being said, time. that is some great job security. If you oh, said, yeah. I got 650,000 options. I'm sorry, boss. I'm going to have to stay on for a while. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Esquire magazine recently did a piece and it was grading the top reality shows over the years. All the TV shows, all the reality shows. The Real World, which I never watched a minute of, it came in at number one. Survivor, still a great show, came in at number two. And number three was The Bachelor franchise. Uh, quite simply, 18 years after it first started, it remains one of the most popular shows on television. And this season, which is actually The Bachelorette, not The Bachelor, uh, and has arguably been the strangest one ever with two Bachelorettes, not just one. Uh, this season, one of the men who was seeking love and on there was a Burlington guy who now calls Hamilton home, a 30-year-old wildlife manager who also happened to be a former college hockey player. It's just so, so Canadian, so Hamilton. Uh, his name is Blake Moynes. He joins me now. Blake, how are you tonight? 
I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, I am thrilled you're here. And and since you weren't allowed by ABC and the others to do interviews until you were no longer a contestant, it's not really a spoiler anymore to uh, to talk about the end of your run, I'm guessing. But I'm wondering now, now that it's done do you, and with what this show is about, do you walk away? Do you feel disappointed? Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel sad or do you feel unbothered by the whole thing? Was it just a good experience? Uh, over, overall, definitely just a good experience. I mean, at the time when I, when I originally left, you know, I came home and quarantined here in Canada for 14 days and I wasn't really able to talk to anyone about it. And I was living at my house by myself. And so, you know, I got down on myself for about 14 days in quarantine alone, just kind of like thinking about everything that happened there. It was just so crazy and so many things happened, but you know, I was, the months kind of went by and, and watched the season play out. Um, it's good. It's good because you get to see all the things you didn't get to see when you were there, you're looking from the outside in instead of the inside uh, out. And um, ev- there's a lot more that is explained now. And so everything feels better seeing how it all played out um, on the other side, basically. Is that good though? Or, or were you watching part of this through your fingers, like in a horror movie to see when you came on there? Go, oh, please. <laughs> I hope they didn't show that part. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, <sighs> you have an idea as to how the episodes will probably play out just based on the timeline of things that happen, but you have no idea really what's going to show in each episode. Um, you know, some of the bigger things I did, like you know, going to that date that I wasn't invited to and things, I knew those things would play out. I just didn't know how it was going to look. So, you know, there were some times where I was cringing and I had, you know, more glasses of wine on some nights than I did others when I was you know, unsure what was going to show, but, um, but it all ended up being okay in the end. And you taped this when? Like, how long have you been keeping all of this a secret? Uh, so we taped. We taped in the summer. It was a you know two month process in the summer of uh, July and August. And then um, you know I got home uh, at the end of August, and I had to keep it quiet until the the premiere date. Basically, wow. was I think August or sorry October thirteenth uh, or fourteenth. Are you good at that? Are you good at keeping quiet, or or was this killing you? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I am. The thing is, like, you know, I, I had some close friends and family that knew I was in the uh, in the process of getting on the show because um, I had to tell some of the people just with work and things like that. So, um, you know, it was killing me finding out if I was going to get on the show or not. And uh, so when I came back, before I went, I told them, listen, I come back. You're not going to get anything. There's no way you're not going to tell us anything. I'm like, I want you to watch this show and just be shocked. And so I held everything to myself. Um, my mom was the only one that knew a couple things just because she almost made it to hometowns, right? So she knew some of the things that uh, had happened up to that point. But I kept it all to myself. And I loved seeing the guys uh, and my friends freak out once once I did some mm. of the things I did on the show. You you say that, you know, they knew you were going on the show. How did you get on the show? How, how and why? What was the What was the process for you to get involved in this? It, it was super random. Um, I, I'm one of the last remaining uh, friends in our big uh, group of friends from Burlington. And uh, you know, everyone's engaged or living with a girlfriend or has a long-term relationship. And, you know, we went and played hockey. We played on a, on a men's league hockey team. And, and after one of the games, we're out by the truck. And all the guys are like, you know, what's your dating life like? Like, you're such a weird guy. You don't care what anyone thinks. Um, <laughs> Uh, you, you're you're up for every type of adventure and experience. Like, why are you why don't you go on one of these dating shows? I'm like, man, I don't know if that's for me. I'm like, dude, just do it. Just send an application tonight and see what happens. And I went that night. I I filled out half an application, sent it in, and then 
here we are. And then, you know, it spiraled out of control. I ended up on the show. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, and you know what? The thing is like, I, you know, I've talked to people in the franchise about it. And like, that's kind of how it happens. You just don't expect it. And then you just land on it and it's wild. But did you really think you would do it or were you doing it almost as a lark? And then all of a sudden you get a response and went, Oh, I guess I'm in now. Um, I never thought it would actually play out, but I, it would be something that I wouldn't shy away from. I literally, I'll do anything. I'll do anything for life experience to live once. And I, I, I live by that. So, um, I would do it if I got it. And, you know, as soon as, as soon as I started having an inkling, like, oh my God, this actually might play out. It started to get my nerves going a little bit. I, I looked at my mom, like, this is something I really want to do. And she's like, you got to go for it. And I just, I pulled the trigger and, and I'm glad I did. Were you a fan of the show? Were you a regular viewer or was this just because of the people who said you got to find a show and go on it? <laughs> I literally, I knew, so I knew what the Bachelor franchise was all about, but I never watched the shows. My mom did like back in the day when you know, I was younger, I would uh, sit with her and watch some of them. When I literally don't, I'm like, I think it was like Krista Sutter, like the first Bachelorette season. I remember that one, um, but I, did, I knew the premise, but um no, I, it was just a random, this was the only random show. The only other one I ever applied to was like Naked and Afraid. <laughs> and that's not a dating <laughs> Oh, that would have been cool. <laughs> Terrifying, but that would have been <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, but if you've yeah. never really watched this, like some of the guys on here, it sounded like were diehards. And so because the Bachelorettes, and there were two of them, they were returning from other seasons. Some of the guys in the show knew everything about them. Did you know anything about the two women who were going to be on or ultimately ended up being on? So- yeah, so you know, I knew very minimal about uh, about Tasha. I knew who she was, but I knew nothing about her. Um, with Claire, um, you know, the first time around, I, I was actually supposed to go in March, right, and then it got shut down because of the pandemic. Um, but because she was announced at that time, we had four months to prepare for her um, come you know July. So I did a lot of research. I knew that it, you know if it was going to be for four months, she wants people that are invested, and there's no way I was going to show up on night one and not know everything about her. It would have been a disservice to her myself. Um, especially if I really believe that I can be engaged, uh, at the end of the two months. Um, so I want to know everything about her just because it would make the process easier and trying to get to know her. So we could skip a lot of the surface level conversations that you could kind of pick up on somebody through, mm. uh, social media and, uh, you know, Instagram and things, right? So we were able to dive into deeper stuff quicker, but just apparently not as quick as Dale. <laughs> so, but um, you, yeah, but you, it sounds like though, like you legitimately, and this is one of the questions people always have, like, are you doing this because you want to go on TV and you want to have this experience or are you legitimately going because you're open to the idea that you could walk out of there married or engaged? And it sounds like for you, it was the latter. Okay. And this is, and this is what I think, you know, surprises a lot of people. And now I've been actively dating since, you know, my, my ex two years ago. Um, and I don't like date for fun. Like I'm in a place where I'm trying to find my person. So when I'm dating, I'm taking things seriously. And, you know, with this whole dating show, as much as it's crazy, you know, you don't actually think you can find someone here. Well, the thing is there has been successful relationships on here. And, um, if you take it seriously, I think, you know, I think, I think, I think it could work. And what I did was I just convinced myself in a way that, Claire was going to be the one for me. And if I really invest in the process and believed this could work, people were going to get the most out of me on the show, whether that was viewers, the producers, myself, or, and Claire. And so I truly invested and believed that it could happen. Um, and that's what I went there for. I didn't go there and put on a fake. I was completely myself. And uh, I can walk out of there knowing that 
whether it was the leads, uh, my friends I met on the show or viewers, they literally know exactly who I am. I'm, there was nothing that I, that I hid, whether it was weird, a little bit risque, uh, anything I did on that show was completely and fully me. And so I can walk out of there now and people can't question anything. They know exactly who I am. And so uh, I'm glad I did that. All right, Blake, but th- th- it's still, I- I'm, I'm trying to imagine doing this. I obviously I've you know never done something like this. Nobody listening has, I'm guessing, done anything like this. It has to be, I don't know if the word is odd or awkward or unusual or whatever to go through this process of legitimately trying to meet someone that legitimately could be your wife down the road and have these deep conversations and everything else with a camera in your face the whole time. Like it's not natural. No, it's not at all. I mean, you be surprised. Um, you know, I think, I think after the first couple nights where the cameras are on you, it's, uh, it's, it goes away Uh, after a little while. It does take time. It, um, I was a lot more loose and um, I was better with the cameras once Tasha came uh, into the season, just because it was almost like practice with Claire. It d- didn't feel comfortable right off the hop. That's for sure. Um, it was okay with like the guys and things like that being on camera. It was, you know, just with friends in a way, but when it came to talking about serious things, um, you know, and the, the real shining moments were when you're with the lead trying to make uh, progress in your relationship, those were a little uh, nerve wracking just because, um, there's a lot on the line. That's what you're there for. Uh, and so you made, wanted to make sure that you were that you were saying the things you wanted to get out in the right way and she was taking them the right way and there was actually something coming from the from the conversation. But what the the, the glitch or the, the fly in the ointment or whatever you want to call it, the extra layer on this is in a normal relationship, you're wanting to say something to the woman or in the other case, if it was a, a woman to a guy that is going to be taken the right way by her. But you've got that to contend with and also making sure you don't say something so stupid that everybody back home is going to go, oh man, like th- that's got to play into it too. I can't make a complete fool of myself doing this. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, like I said in the beginning, that's why everyone thought I would be so great on the show, is that, like, I really don't care what people think, and I truly <laughs> believe in the things that I say, and I think that, and I, and I, I, I you know, I believe in myself, so, you know, if I said something, and it was, as long as it was genuinely something I really felt, and it was natural, it was, like, the first thing I thought of, well, like, I, I can never be, like, that upset about it, because I'm not there to say the right things, I'm, I'm there to say, like, true things, like, the things that are, like, actually, that I'm actually thinking, I'm not there to tell her things that I, she wants to hear, right? So uh, it was more for myself and just making sure, just say everything that you actually mean and actually think and the first thing that comes to your mind because you can't go wrong if you do that. Regardless if it, other people may think it's stupid, it's still your opinion, it's your thought. And I'd rather go out uh, that way than saying something I didn't actually mean just to make someone else happy. Okay, you are a hockey player. You have played hockey for a long time. You played high level. You played university hockey in in Canada. Uh, hockey players, as everybody knows, can chirp with the best of them. I've got to believe, though, that <laughs> even though you don't care, you've been getting some chirps from some friends over the time that you've been on the show. Oh my God! You see me get rejected by Claire, like with a kiss. That was rough and that was like episode two so right away the guys were all over me like are you kidding me like dude what are you doing i'm like yeah i was like listen i know I, I didn't sleep all night that night because i just was so stressed out about dealing with that the next day and like thinking about everyone back home watching that i was like oh my god it was brutal you know there's a lot of stuff that comes from my, my buddies and it's all mostly lighthearted and stuff everyone everyone's razzing me but um yeah, you get the stuff on, on social media too. There's been a lot of that and it comes and goes with each episode, depending on how you were viewed in that episode and what was aired. Um, but like I said, I've, I've got thick skin with things, so I've, I've really handled everything well for the most part. 
There's another issue I find fascinating about the show, because it is a social experiment in a lot of ways. Uh, you're a very competitive guy. Again, if you're going to play high level sports, you're going to be competitive. The purpose here is ideally to find someone that you are going to love, but I don't know how you can't in some way let it become a bit of a competition. In other words, um, you got to make sure that guy that you're competing with doesn't win as much as you want to be the one to win. How does it, how do you not lose focus and make it into a competition with the other guys? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's very, it is weird. And, you know, the thing is, which, which is weird about it is that I expected there to go there and like, you know, be friendly with the guys, but not make friends for the most part. Um, but when you're sitting around like, with the guys during the day and stuff, it's almost impossible to not make relationships. And so, you know, you start to like vet out some of the guys and some of the guys you really, really like, and you find similarities with, and um, you start to bond with, and you can see that some of these guys are actually really good guys. And that if you did lose out, that um, these guys would be great for her. And if you're there really caring for the league, which is realistically why we're, we're there, we're there for ourselves, but it's the league show and it's for her to find love. So if it's not me, but it's going to be one of these other great guys, deep down, it'll suck, but like I'll also be okay with it. So, you know, the whole competition part to it is like, you know, you want to get a rose and people, you know, think is like when we talk on the show, it's like, oh, you know, I just can't want to get through the next round. Well, and it shouldn't be about getting through the next round. It should be about love and, and making that relationship. Well, yeah, but you need to get through the next round to get more time to make that relationship stronger. So, you know, it's, it's a competition to get through because getting through gives you more time to make that relationship strong. Um, it's, it's a weird thing overall. It's really hard to explain. I'm trying to do my best. To no, but you've, you pointed out that you pointed out there's some good guys on there that you're okay with, but there's also some guys on there you're not a big fan of. And I got to think that you're grinding your teeth if they're still in the mix or if they go further than you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, there wasn't anyone other than like the Yosef, the whole Yosef fiasco that went on in the beginning. He was, he left right away. Um, the only person that like, I just felt was so much of the complete opposite of me. I didn't think he was a bad guy because he never treated me poorly in any way, but I just saw him as such an opposite to me was Bennett. And so if seeing him succeed with Tasha was like, well, if she likes Bennett, there's no way she likes me because we're literally complete opposite guys in almost every way I felt. So um, seeing him succeed was like, and and he act, ended up coming back and, and stayed longer than I did, which I didn't find out until I actually watched the season back because I didn't know that that happened. It's just like, ah, that's a little rough. But at the same time, like, he's also, he's also a good guy. We're just very different. So I couldn't see that happening, but uh, it is what it is. All right. We, we just have a couple of minutes left here. And, and I got to say, yes, this week when, when it didn't work out, um, I, I don't know if I can distill it down to this, but you kind of were sent home based on the tantric breathing exercise of a Reiki crystal master. I, I'm not entirely sure that's the top ranked way to discern whether you're a good partner or not. <laughs> I know, right? Rough, rough way to go. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a deep, meaningful type day to, to leave on. Um, yeah, we... we our, our connection came slow compared to most, uh, as you know, right? I, I was one of the only ones that went into Tasha's part of the season with the connection with Claire. Where none of the other guys did, so I had a red flag over my over my head, really. And um, I had to be honest with her from the start. So you know, she was just slow with how uh, we started to connect, and it came really late. And leaving on that date, I felt good about it because we did have a good day. And you know, obviously, not everything's shown in that in that date, but we did connect well, and um, it just wasn't 
good enough and if she wasn't going to take a risk on me that late when she had already solidified some other uh, connections that were just stronger going going forward. You were almost to the home dates. What would you have done yep. in Hamilton? What was the Hamilton date going to be if you brought her back here or Burlington? What, <laughs> what were the things that was going to happen at home here if that happened? Yeah, so I mean, she would have, my parents would have actually flown out there, but if she was to, if it was like a, a regular season and she was to come to Hamilton, oh my I, you know, <laughs> first off, would I take her to Burlington or Hamilton? Like, because Hamilton, I don't know what I would do. I don't know the city very well yet. Um, I've been here for a couple of years now, and uh, I don't get out very much. So I got to learn the city uh, a little better. I don't know what the heck I would do. I think I, I don't know. What would you do? I don't even know what the key things are in Hamilton to take like a, a date to that, um, to that importance. What would you do? I have no idea. Yeah, I, you know what? It, it, it is a tough one. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm, it's been a few years since I've been dating. I've been married for, uh, for a lot of years now. I, I'm, you know, I'm a little rusty on that one, but, um, it, you know, food for thought. People can write in and tell me what they would have done, I suppose, but it's, uh, it is a tricky one. Let me, just before we go, um, there were two women. You talked about it, Claire and Tasha, and it, it is a show, and all the stuff that people hear and all the stuff that people think, but truly, did you have feelings for one or both of them? I, I had, I think the more true organic feelings for Tasha, and I had these almost, I had this almost, I envisioned this, this, what it was going to be like with Claire and I wanted it to get there, but it was almost like I fabricated it in my head to like convince myself so that I could ensure that I was going to do everything I could for her to like make sure I wasn't going to disappoint her and that it could potentially work, but it just... The feelings never fully got there with Claire. The thing mm. happened to make me feel like it was getting somewhere, but it never actually really felt that real in the moment. The energy was off, and um, I think that's because she just kind of fell for Dale right away, and she never really let people in the way that she had hoped, and it's not really her fault. It's just the way it kind of happened. But uh, I think the real feelings started to come with Tasha, and again, just a little late. Uh, you started the show with 4,000 roughly followers on Instagram. I think you have like 105,000 now. Uh, you didn't find love on the show, but um, I'm guessing maybe there have been a few people who were watching who have told you that maybe there's a date available if you wish it. Uh, that, that has happened a couple times. So I'm interested <laughs> to see what these, uh, what these viewers uh, write in for you as a, for a date idea for Hamilton. Because we'll let you know. We'll take date ideas for Yes, maybe I'll take some of the date ideas for if I decide to get out on the uh, on the city again and start dating anytime soon. Look, it was uh, it was it was fun. I, I'm pretty sure. Well, as I said off the top, I'm pretty sure that nobody from Hamilton Burlington has done the Bachelor or Bachelorette before. I'm positive nobody from this area has ever done the Bachelor and played new dodgeball. Uh, that I can guarantee you. Um, uh, but again, you know, it's, uh, you, you got to play it. You got to play the role and you got to do what you got to do. And it's, uh, it was fun. I, I had not, and I'm guessing that you said you were not a big viewer. I had never really watched the show before when I heard you were on, I watched, I bet there was a lot of people who were, uh, who were doing that. So, um, you've opened some doors and opened some eyes, Blake. So, so, you know, love did not arrive yet, but, uh, but you, ABC got something out of you cause they got new viewers. Yes, no, I, I'm I'm glad I could give Hamiltonian some things to watch on on Tuesday night. That's for sure. I appreciate the, <laughs> appreciate the support from Hamilton for sure. Blake Moines from the Bachelorette. Uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Yes, thanks for having me. That is uh, that is a lot of fun. It's a fun story. It's um, as I say, I had never really 
watched the show before, uh, but did. And you know, it is, it is a reality show. It's a TV show. But you know, when you listen to Blake, it was not a show just to go on and get fame. I mean, he was, he was absolutely legitimately in it to potentially find a wife. That's, you know, that is cool to know that the show is legit that way. Because you know what? Again, it's a TV show. We all have our doubts and cynicism and skepticism and all the rest. That's good to hear. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening. And do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.